0: At the young age of 15, Jennifer Rothschild was diagnosed with a rare degenerative eye disease that would eventually steal her sight. Through it all, she's remained optimistic, and she shares her story on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not. The reality is that
1: social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness.
0: You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain.
1: And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This
0: is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings. Welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, Jr. Houston. Wherever you are in the world, however you may be listening, thank you for making us a part of your day. Another thing we would love for you to make a part of your day, or at least every two months, is the Live Happy magazine. It is available wherever fine magazines are sold, and it is available in a digital edition. You can get it in the Apple Store or in the Google Play Store. You can get it on your tablet. You can get it on your phones, whatever you prefer. You can carry it with you all the time, and you can get all those fun little stories and scientific research that helps bring positive psychology closer to home and closer to your heart. We'd really appreciate it. Just as we appreciated the opportunity to talk with Jennifer Rothschild, who's the author of 10 books, including the newly released Invisible. Invisible. How You Feel Is Not Who You Are, God Is Just Not Fair, Finding Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense, and the best-selling books, Lessons I Learned in the Dark, and Self-Talk, Soul Talk. Well, Jennifer, you're 15 years old when you're diagnosed with this rare degenerative eye disease, and that's sort of a time when, you know, kids are just kind of starting to branch out and, and feel their independence, and now you're having to depend on other people. What did you learn about yourself and about others at this time? Well,
1: yeah, it's interesting you brought that out because that is the time when you want to be independent. And to have that quickly stolen is a really, that was a real hard adjustment of blindness. But I will tell you this. What it taught me is that um, trusting someone is a choice that I make. And you know, I've I've done that throughout the last 30 years of blindness. I have learned that um, I really, when I choose to to treat someone as if they're trustworthy, then they really become trustworthy. So I can depend on them. I learned that um, really dependence on somebody is not something that diminishes my sense of self. But what it does in many ways is it helps esteem another person. And Mm. I remember um, early on feeling kind of frustrated, you know, like, oh, I have to hold someone's arm to walk, or "I, I have to have somebody always tell me how many stairs or where to turn, you know, things like that that at first used to bother me. And I had a friend who was in a wheelchair, and I was telling her this. And, of course, you know, she deals with something like that, but on a far greater level. And she said, you know, it used to bother me until I saw it. When I have to ask somebody to help me or to open a door for me, what I'm really doing is I'm giving them an opportunity to feel good about themselves. Mm. And I thought, what a beautiful way to look at being dependent on someone. It really is a gift that you're giving another person when you trust them.
0: It's it's That's an incredible shift of the paradigm. I never would have thought of that because, like you said, it's very... I'm one of those people that, that when you go to ask somebody to do something for you, it's almost sheepishly, but it sounds like you've gotten, you've gotten over that feeling.
1: I, yeah, I'm trying to. There's sometimes times, <laughs> of course, you know, the person that lives inside my body would much rather do it myself, and so I do have to constantly exercise the humility to ask for help, but it helps me do that when I realize I'm really actually giving another person a chance to feel esteemed, and that does give me a sense of purpose in being dependent
0: what do you think the cultural impact would be if we could somehow open ourselves up to being more dependent on those around us those we work with and and live with and love
1: oh gosh I can only imagine what a beautiful and trusting um, culture it would create because when we're dependent then then that means we are looking at another person as someone we esteem someone who is trustworthy someone who is worthy of our respect. And when we choose to be independent, what we're really saying is, I'm the only one worth esteeming and I'm going to protect my own Mm. self-esteem. I don't need anybody. Therefore, you're not worthy of my trust. So I, I don't need you. And what it does, instead of creating connections with people, it creates isolation. And what we think we're doing to protect ourselves, really in the long run, is injuring us because it keeps us from that joy of connecting with another person. I just think, you know, that being dependent on others really is one of the hardest parts of blindness. But I do think that it's something that has allowed me to see more clearly the benefit of it. And I do think we would be a kinder, more tender, and even in many ways stronger because we allow ourselves to be vulnerable culture if we would choose to trust somebody and just depend on each other.
0: Do you find yourself very motivated to reciprocate those that that you depend on and do you find ways to do that for them?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, I do um I, a lot of times I I'll be okay, here comes the gut honest. A lot of times I feel very responsible to reciprocate because I feel a little bit guilty like, oh I've been a burden. I don't want to be a burden. How can I help compensate for what I've asked them to do? Or, you know, how can I make their life a little simpler because I feel like I've complicated it? But that is something I've had to really guard myself against because Mm. that's not truth. That's not truth. That is um, a heightened sense of guilt. And, you know, there's a big letter I right in the middle of the word guilt. Mm -hmm. It's not always about me. I don't need to feel guilty about something like that. But I have found that I do try to reciprocate. And the way I do it is by um, being as genuine as I can in contributing to that person's sense of self. Mm. And that means, you know, obviously I can't say, oh, you look so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have, you know oh, I love that shirt, but instead it's, oh, I have such admiration for the patience you just showed in that situation, or oh, I just really saw how when you're under pressure, you don't lash out at people. You tend to get quiet and get yourself control or whatever it is. Anything that I can do to perceive something in them that may be overlooked by others, that's the way I try to reciprocate and give back for the way that someone has allowed me to depend on them.
0: That's uh, the perfect way to do it, I would think, uh, to to help people feel better about themselves, and then they go on and they continue to do uh, good things and and uh, prove their trustworthiness. It's uh, it becomes cyclical, I think. Yep. What in what other ways? What other adversities uh, did you have to overcome uh, once this uh, disease took hold?
1: Well, same kind of adversities I still have to overcome, <laughs> even though I've been blind for thirty years, and I you know. Of course, there's those big, obvious adversities with blindness, right? I can't drive a car. I can't see what I look like. I can't see to read a book. I'm a mom. I can't see my children's faces. I mean, there's a a list a million things long of those kind of daily, concrete kind of adversities I face. But the biggest ones I face now are the biggest ones I face then. Mm -hmm. And those are those kind of challenges to be content Um, In the areas like blindness With things I can't change Choosing am I going to just get mad And be bitter about this And get stuck in isolation and self-pity Or am I going to choose To let this refine me And make me a better person Am I going to The challenge of just being Feeling like I'm a victim Of blindness Making it my enemy So I'm constantly beaten down by it Or am I going to choose to make blindness kind of like a coach, a friend in my Mm. life that can guide me to places that are healthier and better. Um, So it's those kind of daily challenges and those in the real deep soul places that to me are the biggest adversities of anything we're facing. It's often less about the actual situation and far more about our attitude and our perception of that situation.
0: Oh, without a doubt. Now, you can attest that we have known each other via the phone for about seven and a half minutes. We've never met before. But two things that I have picked up from you already based on your voice and the way you're carrying yourself and some of the words you said is that you are a positive person, an optimistic Mm -hmm. person, and a person Mm -hmm. that is uh, filled with gratitude. How much does gratitude and your expression of that gratitude inform your happiness?
1: Oh my goodness. I can tell you this. I think that gratitude and a sense of peaceful, settled happiness are inextricably linked. And here's why. Because this is this is how I like to say it. Uh, grateful eyes see grace. Mm. So if you really think about it, if you choose to filter, have this filter over your perception of everything you experience in life, if that filter becomes gratefulness, then grateful eyes can see grace. Okay, so I remember when our little boy... Um, he was about three, four years old, and he he came home from preschool with a little, with a picture he had drawn in colors. And he had learned at that point that he needed to describe things to me with his words because I couldn't see them. Mm. Well, before I tell you what he described, let me um, mention this. One of the things that I was good at, loved to do, it was my passion, what I wanted to be when I grew up before I lost my sight was an artist. Mm. And... I had some skill in that area. I loved um, especially doing cartooning and caricatures and probably had some potential. You know, I don't know. I could probably (laughs) say now, oh, my goodness, I was the next, you know, Picasso and Monet put together, but I wasn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or you could have done the next Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, either way, you're (laughs) contributing. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah, either way, we'll never know, right? So let's just believe the best. But anyway, that was my thing. I loved art. I loved color. Okay, so our little boy Clayton comes home with this picture from preschool, And he starts to describe it, and he goes, Mommy, this is a beautiful flower, and the leaves are green, but they are a yellowish green. And, Mommy, the flower is red, but it's an orangish red, not a pinkish red. (laughs) And I remember listening to that, thinking, I saw that picture through the eyes of gratefulness that day. Now, here's what could have happened, though, Jr. I could have... Been in that situation and felt his description, which was so beautiful and so incredible for a four-year-old, and let it stab me. Oh, what a picture of my loss. I'll never see those colors again. What a loss. But instead, because I had learned through my faith and, and habit to be grateful for what I had instead of bitter about what I lost, I was able to see with grateful eyes that situation more clearly and have gratitude how beautiful that my son can perceive those colors how good of god that i would have a child who could be able to communicate those colors to me i mean when you're grateful you're really able to see the good in every situation and when you're not you cannot see the good in the situation even if it exists
0: yeah uh, what a blessing i mean i'm sitting here proud of your son because uh first of all guys are not genetically wired to see colors so well uh, I know, right? <laughs> in such a dramatic uh, changes of tones but the fact that he at four years old could paint a picture like that uh he's got a future in broadcasting i can tell you that right now I know, right it was
1: brilliant it was amazing amazing
0: <laughs> now you mentioned uh that, that you had had some talent and at being an artist and and you, you you aren't getting to contribute necessarily that way but you are getting to contribute by writing books and you've got two books, Invisible and Invisible for Young Women. And in this day and age when people are becoming much more sensitive and much more aware of their situation and hopefully the situation of others, why do you feel that women still often feel invisible?
1: Well, you know, the, the subtitle of the book Invisible is How You Feel Is Not Who You Are. Mm. And that sums up, I think, the concept of why women still feel invisible. Because we believe that who we are is how we feel. Hmm. And if we don't feel good about ourselves, or we feel like she's smarter or cuter, or we feel like we are less desirable because our husband left, or whatever it may be, whatever those feelings are that are so powerful, we begin to associate our sense of self and identity with those feelings which are always often negative and often not based on truth, and so then we identify ourselves by our feelings, and we can't help but feel invisible. And sadly, what we do, T.R., is then try to be seen, and we do it in all the wrong ways, which then eventually leads us to feeling even more overlooked and more invisible.
0: What What can you do or remember or keep in mind as you go forward uh, for a woman who, who wants to uh, be seen but do it in the right way to, to do it in a in a correct way or or maybe just to correct their perception
1: Yeah, well one of the things I talk about in the book invisible and invisible for young women is That we need to know the truth of who we are and and when you really know the truth of who you are you realize you don't lack Anything so just real quickly. Here's how I explain that to women Through an acronym of LACK, (laughs) L-A-C-K, I let them know that they are loved. Even if someone has rejected you, you are loved and you are lovable. And Mm. you're you're not lovely or loved just because you've done something and you've earned it. But God loves you because of who you are, not because of what you do. You're also accepted. You're accepted, and our acceptability is not based on our performance. Women can be so performance-driven, and I want us to be provision-driven. Realize that we have been provided with a beautiful identity, and that we are accepted, and we are therefore acceptable. And then C is for complete. We're complete. There's nothing that we lack. The way that we were wired with our DNA and our emotions and everything that we're put together, we're not lacking anything. It's not like there's something missing we need to fill. Hmm. It's that we need to recognize we are already fulfilled. We are already complete in the identity we've been given. And then lastly, the letter K, we are known. It's one of our greatest needs is for somebody to truly know us and to truly see us. And I believe that the God who created us who knows everything about us, still loves, accepts us, completes us, and therefore that kind of deep knowledge in the deepest part of our need, when we know that God knows us and he still loves us, then we begin to realize who we are and that we really don't lack anything.
0: Do you think that a a comprehensive study of one's strengths and knowing what they can do better simply because they are who they are or because they're a woman or what have you would would be beneficial or is that something that gets a little bit too academic at times?
1: Well, I think that in order for you not to think with your feelings and therefore think your identity is how you feel, we all have to begin to think with our brains. Mm. And so I think for that reason, it's very important to stand before the mirror of your soul and say, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? I, I wrote a book a few years ago about self-talk and I call it self-talk soul talk and it's what to say when you talk to yourself. And I used in that book intentionally the words productive self-talk or destructive self-talk instead of positive self-talk or negative self-talk. And here's why. Because sometimes when we um, want to just speak positive self-talk, we overlook Our weaknesses or the things we maybe need to improve upon and consequently we only focus on what's good and positive in our strengths and then what happens is we don't really begin to have confidence in who we are as a complete person it's okay to look into the mirror of your soul and say you know what Jennifer sometimes you really get out of control with your anger and Mm. you are a better person than that and you have a higher calling So I'm going to productively speak to my own soul and say, you know, self-control is not one of your strengths at the moment, but that doesn't mean that it won't be later. So acknowledging a weakness in many ways enables you to be able to perceive a potential strength. So I'm not all about just acknowledging our strengths and celebrating that. I'm about honestly approaching our weaknesses as a stepping stone to becoming the woman we want to be.
0: I think that's incredibly important, and, I, and I, it reminded me, as you were talking, I was speaking recently with a sports psychologist who uh, worked with Team Canada, works with all their Olympians, and especially their hockey program, which is, of course, a big deal there. And, mm. and he referred to what you were talking about as weddings and funerals. Weddings are fun. Mm. Weddings are easy. We all want to go to those. Funerals, not mm. so much. We don't want to do that. We don't want to confront that, but they're both equally important in our lives and uh, it's it's attending those funerals and and really doing the examinations of the things that were not at a, at our strongest that that build us into better people so i'm really glad you brought that up because it i think it drives that point home even more for folks another thing that you talk about is that there can be in in everybody's life but especially i think for women the distractions that can just jump in front of you and make you doubt mm-hmm. yourself How can you identify those things as simply distractions rather than permanent roadblocks?
1: uh, (laughs) That is a lifelong quest for me, and I think what happens is sometimes we think distractions are dead ends, and they're not. But they can become that if we don't acknowledge them and recognize them for what they are. So there's many distractions. I mean, I can speak to some that I've had, and I think they're universal for a lot of people, definitely a lot of women. You know, one distraction that may keep us from being our best self is this need to be loved and accepted by everybody. Oh, acknowledge Mm -hmm. me, admire me, you know. And so that may mean that we become very distracted because we're constantly chained up by insecurity. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I cute enough? Are they talking about me? (laughs) <laughs> and that insecurity can become a distraction that if we don't acknowledge, oh, that's keeping me from being my best self and being comfortable with my own skin, then it will become a dead end that we will get stuck in. And, and that's just how we feel, but that's not who we are. That's why we need to acknowledge it as a distraction. You know, for some people, it might be their appearance. I mean, we live mm-hmm. in a world that is so Photoshopped. We we live in a world where we pick up our phone and we look on our computer screen and there is the perfect image of your friend's perfect child that has been, you know, you, you've got five seconds of their perfect life. And suddenly you look at your life and you're like, oh, I'm such a loser, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And so if we don't acknowledge that it is a distraction that's keeping you from the truth and the reality that we're all broken, we're all imperfect, we're all vulnerable, and we're all on the journey – then that becomes a roadblock that eventually becomes a dead end and you get stuck there thinking you'll never measure up. So I think it's just so important really, you know, no matter what the situation is, I think it's so important that we approach our lives honestly, just Mm -hmm. with total honesty because there's a real safety in being honest. It's very dangerous to not be honest when you are feeling a certain way or seeing certain things when you're not honest that's when you're not free
0: jennifer rothschild we have had so much so much fun talking to you so much insight here uh website jenniferrothschild.com and we'll link to that on our website as well but for folks who would like to get a copy of your book invisible and uh, invisible for young women where can they go
1: they can go to my website, JenniferRothschild.com, but they can also find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or in any bookstore. It's available.
0: And you also, I want to mention, have some free downloads to some spiritual studies as well, and that's another thing that I've learned about you in the 20 minutes that I've known you, is that faith is, <laughs> is very important to you as well. Uh, the downloads for the spiritual studies are at JenniferRothschild.com slash freebies. Very very much looking forward to that and uh, and learning much, much more. Thank you so much for joining us. I can I can only imagine that as a parent and an and an author you're very busy and it means a lot to us that you were able to take some time out for us today.
1: Well, it means a lot to me that you asked. I appreciate it. God <laughs> bless you. Thanks, Jr.
0: Thank you very much. If you'd like more information and a free sketch note of this episode, a lot of freebies on there as well, go to livehappynow.com and check out all the offers there and uh, find out more about uh, past podcasts and upcoming episodes of the show as well, including next week when we're joined by Dean Caranzas the author of The Road to Sparta and named one of the top 100 most influential people in the world by Time magazine. It was a great conversation. We recorded this one a little early. And I cannot wait for you to hear it. It is going to be fantastic. In the meantime, I want to hear from you, as is everybody here at Live Happy. So find us on Twitter at Live Happy or on Facebook, facebook.com slash live happy. Or you can send us an email, podcast at livehappy.com. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I'm Jr. Houston. And for everybody here at Live Happy, thank you for helping us live happy.